I've been last year was a chance really how the how my whole show started was I brought business owners and entrepreneurs on to originally the idea was to like discuss the blueprint like what how it is that they started how they made the decision to to take a path that was you know less traveled we have more employees than we have business owners right sure. so but if you if someone's inspired or has ever considered owning their own restaurant or whatever the case may be i wanted to be able to talk to people that had done these type of things um with a modicum of success sure. so that way they could inspire other people um and then it branched out to people uh movers and shakers kind of in their, in their industry and uh and then just people making an impact and so i i was so happy that like it's so crazy the circumstances that led up to our meeting so yeah when i met adam messer through a guy that i work with uh cory brooks who's a photographer yeah like yeah. hey yeah he's like hey let me link you up with this guy and then i did and then his and i we've had this amazing connection from day one nice. uh, where we've been interlinked and then he wanted to start the Savannah podcast association. Right. And that was really, I was like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Like I never, it's, he operates on a different level. And so do yeah. you than than me. Cause I'm still, I'm in that, I'm still active duty army. And so I'm yeah. still like trying to break loose of, of the, the cage that kind of surrounds me of sure, you know, yeah. a little bit more structure. So, so I, uh, so we so we had our first in-person meetup of through the Savannah Podcast Association and that's where I got to meet you where I got to meet Jason. And so I I was going through I literally like googled your name. I was like I want to I want to encapsulate all that is Jason, <laughs> but instead of me fumbling around trying to do it, uh, just if you want to give like a what what do you how do you categorize yourself, I guess? Um well, uh yeah. I would I would call myself a, uh, a a creative professional and a storyteller. Um, you know, I uh, I've worked in television uh, for the last seventeen years or so. Um, uh, the only um, outside when I graduated college, it's the the first career path I went down and. Um, uh, but I but I wrote my first screenplay when I was 17 years old, and uh, I've written somewhere on the order of 25 or 30 now. That's incredible. And yeah, it's 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 something. <laughs> um, there there are a lot of a lot of bad ones in there. Oh no! I mean, uh, absolutely. That's yeah. that's something that I definitely want to I want to dive into. But like, I, sure. So. So for me, I am so not in the loop with this kind of stuff with the, with this area. Like I'm yeah. aware I'll see like the credits rolling and it's like screenwriter, yeah. this director, this. So what is it, what does it mean to be the screenwriter for a movie? Well, um, you can break it out in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, at the, at the most base level, it is the, the writer of the actual film. Um, a, a screenplay is a blueprint for the, for the actual movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I've written a lot of original screenplays, which are, you know, from nothing. I, I did the whole thing. Um, more recently I've done a lot of things for producers. So they have a, an idea or a story or an outline. 
um, and then I interpret that um, through, you know, there might be two pages of what they give me and then I expand it into as much as I can a world and, you know, it might be 90 to 110 pages by the time I'm done with it. Sure. Um, so that entails developing the characters, the story, the plot, the structure, um, you know, tone, theme, uh, all of those things. Um, and yeah, and so that's, that's kind of the, the, the easiest way to say like the screenwriter yeah. is the, is the first voice, mm-hmm. uh, that, that comes on a film, you know, by and large, the first voice that, that, uh, interprets the movie. Uh, and then that's of course followed by, you know, a director and editor, sure. et cetera. So. Have you done any, um, any writing, any like authorship, or have you like written any part of a book or assisted in writing any types of books or anything? So I, I, I have attempted, uh, and slash am still attempting to write <laughs> yeah. a novel. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got, uh, uh, more than 300 pages into, uh, to a kind of a sci-fi futuristic, you know, thing. Um, yeah. And it's, it's a different discipline than screenwriting. And that's Um, exactly what I was curious about. I'm like, how does, um, because if a movie can be encapsulated in 90 to a hundred pages of, uh, of a screenwrite, I mean, a typical short book is going to be like 200, 300 pages uh, up to 17, 2000 pages. Sure. So in the process, how do you, how do you approach that? Like, what's the difference in the approach, I guess? So, so with a, with a screenplay, you are, you are writing, um, a a visual, you, you, you don't write what a character thinks. You're not, you're writing a very explicit story versus, you know, an implicit story. So you're you're not, you're not telling your audience what is going on inside. You're, you're allowing the action and, um, uh, your story to inform the audience and, and hopefully an actor is, is receiving that information and then, um, you know, performing, uh, so that it's, um, you know, cohesive throughout, throughout the story. Um, it's, it is very, very different. I mean, screenwriting is a very economical, um, type of writing. Um, uh, there's a lot of white space on a screenplay mm-hmm. uh, and, um, you know, there, there are some screenwriters, um, uh, Aaron Sorkin or, or Tarantino who have, you know, very dialogue heavy. Um, yeah. so their scripts tend to run long because there's, they're not relying as much on that. Right. Action. Of course. Um, and so the end, that was the next thing that I thought it was, uh, uh, how are you writing out like the full script? Like when it comes to like the actual conversations that are taking place, like all of that is happens in the screenwriting. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so what, what I, what I do is I, I write, um, you know, in terms of action and kind of choreographing action, I try to make sure that it is very intrinsic to the story mm-hmm. uh, but, because the thing to, to realize as a screenwriter and, you know, you have to have a, next to, to zero ego because you, this is going to be filtered through so many other artists, you know, on before it gets to any sort of finished place. Um, you know, certainly a producer is going to have certain um, budgetary or logistical constraints they're going to place on you. Uh, the director is going to have their own interpretation. The actors will have their own interpretation. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, you know, when all of it, it the cinematographer is going to have an interpretation of the way it's shot. And then an editor is going to go through and cut, you know, so you're, you're writing something. Um, what, what, I think what you're really hoping to do is to, to make sure that the heart of what you're writing is strong enough um, to carry through all these filters right. and still resonate in the way that you're intending it to. Yeah. The core, um, the spirit of it continues to to stick around even as they, they mess around with kind of the, the external layers, like the, the heart and soul. I get it. Yeah. What's, yeah, what's I, your relationship with the director? Like, do you have input with them while the movie is being shot or is, does that happen all on the front end? Well, it's actually funny. So I've had two, two films that have been, um, produced thus far. Um, one, uh, at least one is slated or scheduled for this year. Um, so with the first script, um, I was brought in to rewrite the project. Um, it was a, a producer that I knew, um, and, um, they, they wanted some reinterpretation of, of the text that was there. Uh, which so which I did so I had I delivered a draft and then mm -hmm. I, I I washed my hands of it and they went away and they shot it and then I didn't see it until it was done. Oh wow! I did I did have to write a couple of little pickups here and there, but mm -hmm. by and large, um, once I delivered that draft, I I was kind of hands off. I got feedback from mm -hmm. from the set because um, I knew uh, one of the producers very well. Um, but in terms of, uh, real input, you know, during that process, I didn't have any, gotcha. um, now the second project, uh, is an interesting, uh, one, which is Deadwater, which, uh, I know you have a copy of. Yeah, I, I uh, do. Yeah, no, that was, that was an <laughs> awesome thing. You, you should, Jason showed up with, uh, with some copies. There's some signed copies. I cannot believe the, the world that I live in where I walked away with a, with a sign, my screenwriter's signed copy of, of a movie that he produced. And it's not even, it, it's, that is epic in and of itself. Like I, I continuously find myself in positions. I'm like, I have no business being in this place where I'm at right now. Um, so that was cool. And the novelty of it was insane alone. But then you look at the people who were actually in the movie. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, holy crap. Right. Like, it's, that, it's very cool, man. Yeah. So that project is interesting because um, uh, the same the same producer that um, brought me onto that previous project, which is a movie called Running For My Roots, it's a family country music film, um, uh, brought me on to, uh, he and I had, had worked on a couple of other projects. I'd adapted a book for the screen for him, which we couldn't get the financing for, which is the story with a lot of these projects. It's always about trying to find the financing, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you just don't stop until you find it. Um, so uh, with, with Deadwater, um, he was approached by an investor who had had money to uh, that he wanted to invest in the film and uh, he had a certain amount of money and, and Chris, who was the, the, the producer and runner for my roots and one of the producers um, and, and then the producer and director of, and eventually the director of Deadwater came to me and said, Hey, do you have anything for this budget line? And, and I said, no, he said, well, can you write something? And I said, of course. <laughs> and, um, so we, we went away at, to, uh, to Starbucks in Savannah and sat down with a sheet of paper and, um, and uh, 
I said, well, we've got limited cash and limited locations on this budget. It wasn't a massive budget. Um, and he's like, okay, why don't we put them on a boat? And I was like, we will put them on a boat, um, which is the worst idea of all time, by the way. <laughs> Any screenwriters or filmmakers that are like, we're going to put them on a don't, don't put them on a boat. Put them on an island. Don't put them on a boat. Oh, the boat should be in the ocean somewhere. Um, but anyhow, so, uh, so we put them on a boat. Uh, I went away and I wrote a, like a seven page treatment, which is just basically the story, you know, for a shorthand of the story. And, uh, and we, I sent it to him and, you know, he argued with me about it for two weeks and we came to, and we're, he's one of my best friends in the world. Uh, it's like a brother to me. So, you know, we can have honest conversations about things that we disagree about. And, um, eventually we came to some compromises, which I think worked better for the film, which is always good when the compromises actually seem to work better. Right. Um, and, uh, and then he went, I, then I went away and I wrote the screenplay, um, in about, a, you know, three or four weeks. And, uh, I brought a draft back to him and, uh, he read it, he liked it. And he, he's what well, went to the investor and the investor said, yeah, I don't really want to invest in movies anymore. And so we were like, oh. <laughs> um, so the project sat on the shelf for a year oh, and wow. yeah. And then, um, he found someone who was was looking for an investment opportunity and presented it to him and he was on board with it. And, uh, and then from that point, it was a very kind of quick succession of things. Um, because I think we got, uh, the okay that we were going to be funded like in April or May. And then in, um, they were, they were shooting, uh, in, uh, at the end of July, early August of that year. Mm -hmm. So within, you know, six, eight weeks, it was the money's going to come through. Now you got to prep the project. You got to cast, you cast it. You got to um, find locations and uh, and boats. You know, in our case, we had to find boats. <laughs> um, and and what was funny was he had done some of the due diligence early on when the first investor was involved, and told me the boat that we would rent for the movie in that case. And so I had gone online and downloaded the, the blueprint of the boat, the floor plan and everything. And I wrote a lot of my, like my scene work and my action around that physical, like what I could see that physical space. Mm -hmm. And then when we, he got down there, he had an opportunity to get a much, much, much better boat as our hero boat. And then, um, so to go back to your original point, I know this is a long way to get around to it about whether you're involved or not. Mm -hmm. One of the big reasons that I got a chance to be involved with um, writing as much as I was during the production of that was because our physical space was different. So I had to rewrite choreography and, and, gotcha. and scenes and the way they were set up. Um, the joke on Deadwater was that um, when we wrap the movie, the script would finally be locked. <laughs> and um and so um it was it was quite a quite an adventure and and you know I'm, i was really fortunate that um that chris um produced and directed that because he let me be a lot more involved sure. you know in that part of it than i think a writer typically is mm -hmm. um you know i saw i saw dailies um you know you know scenes from the, the daily shot them um, I saw um, 
uh, you know, still, you know, stills. I, I heard some of the stories from what was going on, some of the challenges, some of the things, and um, all things that you know I will, you know, take forward. You know, hopefully when I direct my own project, yeah, um, which I hope is coming up soon as well. So, um, so yeah, it it, it was uh, it, it varies, you know, based on your relationship with the kind of the key management of the, of the picture. Sure. And so is that something that, that you wanted, like, do you like being involved to that level or would you rather like write, cut it and step away? Yeah, I think it depends. Um, you know, with, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, I, I've written a lot of, uh, a lot of projects recently that I've kind of, I'm, I'm hired gun on. Um, and so obviously when the project, you know, the, the idea and everything originates outside of you, I think, you know, there's less of a, you know, personal attachment to it. So in those cases, I would, I would typically rather, um, write them and get them to a point that everybody's happy with them and Mm -hmm. then they can go on and do it. Um, and then I can kind of go and work on my passion projects yes um, so yeah. with Deadwater, that's not that's not your baby you know like exactly okay. yeah i get it exactly Deadwater was you know a lot of it was um was originated originally by me um you know so there were certain things that changed on set and whatever um yeah. but a lot of it was you know started here and mm-hmm. um and so you know i was a lot more engaged and like you know and even to the point where uh when we had rough cuts and things Chris came, I remember Chris came down here a couple times. Uh, he's, he's based out of Atlanta, but um, he came down to Savannah to visit and, you know, stay here with me. And, um, you know, we went through the, the film and we made edit notes and things like that, which was really great for me because mm-hmm. my, you know, most of my career um, is in, you know, kind of more post-production writing, but then also post-production and, and that sort of things. And, and so, it was really a very good uh, opportunity to feel the whole process. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. And especially if you, cause you said that you, you're looking to step in, you're going to direct something this year. Uh, uh, hoping to. Hoping. Um, yeah. Right. I, yeah. I have, I have a movie um, that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago, well, a few years ago now. Gosh, it's probably been six years that I wrote the first draft of it um and it's called monkey how time goes by yeah oh my gosh yeah it's called monkey island and it's based on a real place off the georgia coast where um there was a uh a primate um research facility um starting in the 70s i think this might have been 60s it's been so long since i researched it it's great Um, time for research yeah (laughs) right (laughs) before a lot of the regulations were in place LSD or yeah, yeah, yeah. LSD, exactly. the monkeys or some PCP at them. Let's see what happens. Right. Um, but yeah, so, uh, this, it's a real place. And, um, I had, uh, I had learned about it because I had, I had done a, I work in television promotion. And so I'd done a, I pitched a story. There's a, uh, there's this thing called the Tybee bomb where, there was a, an air accident um, in the 50s, I think it was, where um, a nuclear bomb had to be jettisoned off of an aircraft off the coast of Tybee Island, Georgia, um, and it's never been found. 
So oh, geez, Louise. That's, a, that's a compelling story, right? It is compelling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and already so, in. I'm sold. Where are we going? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I, I pitched the idea for the story for our new station, our new uh, team to do. And then I was nominated for a, a regional Emmy for the promotion I put together for it. And um, one of the guys I worked with, I was at an event and he was like, hey, man, I really like the, the that Tybee Bomb promo you did. It's really cool. Oh yeah, thanks. It turned out great. He said, "You know the the story I want to hear told." I said, "What's that?" He said, "Monkey Island." I was like, "Whoa, what's Monkey Island?" And he told me about this, and um, and so I went back and I pitched it to our news team again, to our news director at the time, and she was like, "Oh, this is interesting." And she ran it by our general manager at the time, and he's like, "Yeah, I like that." And when the news anchor came by, because he knew it was the story that I pitched. Uh, he came by, he said, hey, man, we're about to head out to to um, get on the boat and go out to, to like, kind of survey the island. It's not like mm-hmm. you can go on the island, they could survey. He's like, um, and we've got an interview with the guy that was involved with the program, you know, early on. Um, is there anything you want me to ask him? And I said, I only want, I only care about you asking him one question. And he said, what is it? I said, can they swim? And he goes, oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about that. I'm like, yeah. And so he went away, did the story, came back. I found him later that day. He was editing the story. And I said, well, what did he say? Thinking, like, it's like, oh, I've got this way too far off the mainland for them to get. He turned around to me. He goes, he said, yeah, they get to the mainland all the time. And I was like, what? And I was like, okay, man, this is, this is legit. We're, I'm writing this movie. So I wrote this very, you know, was, I wrote it geared to be like a $25,000 movie that I could just take my own personal gear, go out with some buddies and shoot this kind of fake documentary style thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got held up a couple times with a, a couple of producers that were interested in the idea. And, um, and it's kind of been in limbo. I've been busy with other things and, and sure. no one, like all, it's kind of become unencumbered at this point. And so now I'm really, really want to make that movie. Now. Yeah. So if I can make it, I know exactly how it's supposed to look. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really like to do that one. And then I've got another one uh, that I would, like I'm super, I'd be super jazzed to direct, um, which is kind of more in the vein of like uh the Blumhouse, like kind of the um, the Get Outs and uh, gotcha that yeah. those kind of, that kind of genre. I've got one that I've written that I think would be perfect for that that I want to direct as well in three or four years. But um, but yeah, man, like it's you know uh, it's always a progress. You know, it, it, as you well know, is pushing forward and and being resilient and uh, trying to um, achieve the next objective you know and uh i think that's really important yeah there's there's definitely uh an importance and and i'm really diving into a lot of research about aim um Mm. and like the target uh targeting aspect of your life and and from the baseline of like when you wake up like the reason that we're able to operate in the world that we in how we do so today is because we target everything. There's yeah. a pinpoint target for every from when when I wake up, I see my phone. That's my target. You know, yeah, to that yeah. to that level of minutia, to that five year goal, to that sure. the, to your legacy goal. You know, and so and how do I 
how do I assign uh, the correct, or how do I, how do I select the correct target? You know, right. and, and it's, so I'm, I'm actually working through like a training program right now to try to help people get to that point because I've done it, you know? That's and awesome, I've, man. And so it's, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. But the one thing that I, that just kept, uh, piquing my interest as you're like telling your parts of these stories is that you are, you have a, all these different skill sets that didn't, you didn't just pick up all at once. Like right. your ability to go to turn around now and to essentially produce, create, write, direct uh, this film that you want to make. Like you didn't, you don't, walk out of school with that skill set and so what one just to go back so i want to figure out how you got to that point <laughs> um when you you went to school you went to college what did you go what was your education in specifically yeah, yeah. so okay I'm, I'm glad you asked this because i had some some really uh great influences here um so when i uh graduated high school um i got a a, a scholarship to a, a school called Thomas University in Thomasville, Georgia. I went to school, uh, high school in Cairo, Georgia, um, home of the syrup makers. That's our mascot. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, and so I got, I got the scholarship to Thomas University, but it was for business school. And my, I had to go in and do an interview and a, a, like a presentation and a pitch and everything. And my pitch was, I wanted, I want to learn the business side of movies so I can make, so I can make the movies that I want to make profitable, essentially. Gotcha. Um, and I was at that school for, um, for a year, a year and a half or so, um, and ended up transferring to uh, Valdosta State University. Okay. Um, now, in the meantime, I had written, um, I would think I was writing my third screenplay at that time. Um, as I mentioned, I wrote my first screenplay when I was 17. I'm 39 now. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, I was still kind of in this, you know, I mean, this was in the, this was in the early two thousands, right? So laptops and things weren't where they are now. In fact, the, that first screenplay I wrote, I, I hand wrote most of the first draft of it. Yes. And then I went, when I got my income tax money, uh, I went to Walmart and I bought one of those uh, those word processors where you could only see like one line of type when yeah. you type on it. Um, <laughs> yes. And so that's how I wrote the, my first 170 pages, which is way, way too long. Right. First screenplay was written on that word processor. Um, and then I ended up getting a, a you know computer and whatever. Um, so anyhow, I, I transferred to Valdosta State in business school. Um, I was in a business management class, um, and I was at a used to write everything, handwrite everything on a yellow notepad, and I would transcribe it later. I'm in this business management class. I'm handwriting the screenplay. The professor calls on me to answer a question, and I don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> and um, my mind's somewhere else right now. <laughs> right, and so I I was like uh, you know, super embarrassed and, and, mm -hmm. um, and I blush really bad when I get embarrassed. And so I just remember my face just being red hot. Mm -hmm. I walked out of the classroom. I walked to the bus, I took the bus back to the main campus and I walked straight from the bus stop 
to the mass media building because I knew I was I was following a path that wasn't wasn't for me. And I went into the mass media room and there was one light on in that building and a man uh, by the name of Mike Savoy um, was in his office and I walked in and I talked to him and told him I wanted to transfer in and I want to make movies and this and that. And he told me in no uncertain terms that I was making a mistake, that I'd make more money in business school. And, um, and then he paused for a second. He said, but I can't blame you. I, I kind of have the same path. And, um, and so he, they got me into the program. Um, and then, uh, they didn't, they, the, the program was much more geared toward broadcast journalism. Um, and, uh, there weren't a lot of narrative, um, opportunities there. Um, but fortunately I worked, uh, a guy by the name of Frank Barnes, who was still a great mentor to this day, um, uh, worked on putting together a screenwriting curriculum. Um, I wrote a, a movie, I wrote a screenplay called Trojan Horse during that year, which is a, we'll get on that. You and I can talk about that offline sometime. Yeah. Goofy, goofy movie. <laughs> um, and, um, and anyhow, uh, and then I, I studied abroad the summer before my senior year. And I had been bugging Mike, who was my advisor, to, um, to let me produce a movie. Uh, with the with the, the school's gear, the problem was that you know I think because of the insurance things, you couldn't necessarily let a student take gear out. Like you could let them do something for a class, but you couldn't necessarily take it out and right. for a weekend and that sort of thing. And so um, I bugged about it, and it was no, 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 no. Well, when we went to London, uh, London is where we studied abroad. Um, Mike was the on-site administrator for the program for for my portion of the program and um we got there and it was supposed to be a travel documentary class and the first day that we were there um our gear all of our gear was stolen and so yeah so we couldn't make our documentaries so it ended up becoming basically like a uh, an american or a, a world film class and i'd already taken film a film class and um back in Valdosta. So it was just kind of like a, a bit of a letdown, but it was what it was, you know? And, um, and so I'll never forget on the flight back from London, I was sitting like a, like one row back, um, on an aisle and he was sitting, you know, a row up from me on the aisle and I was storyboarding this short film I'd written and he turned around and looked at me, so what are you doing? And I, I said, um, Oh, I'm, I'm storyboarding my movie. And he said, I told you that we can't really, you know, let you, let you make it. And I said, well, I'll figure out a way to make it. And, you know, he, he kind of turned forward, kind of, you know, exhaled and turned back and said, all right, we'll figure it out. And so what ended up happening was they let me do um, kind of pre-production and production in the fall semester post-production screening in the, um, the spring semester before graduation. And, um, you know, it was kind of one of those things where I was, you know, 
paying people in pizza, you know, to come mm-hmm. in and do these little you know scenes. We we're shooting at this house that me and my roommate had. Um, I remember uh, one night I was out by myself. There was a storm coming in, uh, wind whipping and things, and I'm hand holding, kind of doing this stuff, and um, all by myself and um, with lights set up and sandbags outside of this house, and um, and then uh, you know got that all like shot, and then started to work on the edit. And as um, uh, we were planning to um, screen the film, something like middle of March or something like that. And like at the end of April or end of May or end of February, um, there was, uh, they upgraded our machines at the school and I lost everything. <laughs> the entire edit, like three weeks out from the screening, right? Oh. And I remember... I remember just kind of wandering around the camp. I gave myself one day to feel sorry for myself and to sulk about it. I wandered around campus and just felt so bad for myself. And then, you know, I went home and I said, all right, it's got to be done. This is like, this is my grade. And this, you know, I've got my goal right there. Um, I knew already, I'd already edited like 80% of the movie. So I knew what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And it actually was a really good lesson in, um, uh, you know, dealing with unfortunate circumstances because the movie that I ended up cutting, um, even though it's not high art or not great, it is better than the movie that I had, that I had set out that I had cut to that point. Yeah. It ended up much better because I was able to reinterpret the lens in which um, the audience would view the movie mm-hmm. um, from the outset, and it, and I had I, had I not had that happen, I wouldn't have been able to, to position it um, in this new. I wouldn't have done it because I just would have been like, oh, I've got it done. I'm done. I'm like, great, cool. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're two weeks ahead of the screen. Um, but having that, you know, that bump um, allowed me the perspective to go back and reevaluate the project as a whole re-edit it um and then we you know we screened it for you know a bunch of people and you know it's one of those things where um i have a lot of anxiety watching my own work with other people sure um and i remember just feeling so uncomfortable in the theater that day but you know people were very nice about it um and it was and i learned so much about you know the the holistic view of creating a project and I think that is what I, I don't I think minus having that experience I would not be able to view all of the parts in the way like I wouldn't be able to sit here today and say I I'd like to direct you know this movie later this year if I can get the financing I wouldn't be able to say that you know because I I would only have a very very uh, small view of the whole process but but the opportunity that Mike and Frank and, um, you know, those guys gave me at Valdosta State did really, really open up, you know, kind of the mind to say, okay, I can get my hands around all of this. I don't have to just worry about a little piece. I can mm-hmm. understand all of it. So it was, um, it was really, really, that was a really uh, big time thing. For it's me. so, it's so interesting when you look back, after you've you've 
been in an industry, you've been working at something for so long and you look back at the beginning and especially after you start to, you start to achieve success and people are starting to acknowledge you for, for the work that you're doing and you know, you're not being placated anymore, you know? (laughs) Um, But you look back at those early days at those, at those moments and you're like, I left the class. I had that, that really awkward interaction with my business, uh, instructor uh you know teacher at that moment and i i left and i left and i went straight to the where i wanted to be and at that time there was that one light on with that one guy there yeah like what are the chances that that was going to happen at that time yeah right not to say that it's like predestined or fate but it's it's some people would look at it and be like, Oh, you're so lucky that you found this guy, you know, and you're so lucky that you had this opportunity and that you were there and he was there and and that he gave you this chance uh, and, and was willing to work with you extra. But all of those things came from decisions that you made. Like you created the opportunity for luck to happen. Right. Absolutely. You weren't like, Oh, okay, well I'm going to double down. I don't want to be embarrassed again here so i'm going to double down on business and this thing that i don't want to do because i'm already in it you know like uh it's it goes back to like i'm really diving into logical fallacies right now and going into like well it's almost like an appeal to tradition where you're like well i've been doing it i already i said i was gonna do it so i gotta see it they're like no you don't no you don't like that was a beautiful chance for you to to reflect and then to take action sure and so that's beautiful but you're the your your film being lost is oh my god oh my god man i i felt so sick that day i just i just remember walking i I remember thinking um that i felt like i was in a movie right happened you know because i remember just walking outside and like looking to end, I remember the grass in my mm-hmm. mind, at least the grass was so green and I just like, it just, uh, everything just felt like it, I felt like I was walking through soup, you know, or right. something yeah. Yeah. because it felt like, Oh my gosh, I've worked so hard because at the time I was also, I was working um, at Walmart. Okay. And I would go into work at like, uh, four or five o'clock in the morning and I'd work until like one or two in the afternoon. And then all my classes were from like two 30 until like nine 30 at night. And when I was editing was like nine 30 until like 11 or midnight. And then I would drive 30 minutes home. I'd grab three or four hours of sleep. I'd get up, take a shower and I'd go do it again. And I did that every day for that semester, you know, and then on the weekends I was just useless. I just crashed cause I was so tired. Um, but the, you know, the, you know, it's just one of those things where, um, you have to make a decision. Um, and and I, I I talked about this to other, some other people that, you know, want to be screenwriters and things like that. That's my opinion is, you know, you have to have a certain amount of discipline and, um, and drive and, um, you can't, you can't make excuses, you know, if, if you're serious about like this, there's this amorphous thing that you're trying to achieve that you're only holding yourself accountable to. Right. Yep. So the only person that you have to blame that's not done is yourself. And so you have to respect yourself and your dream enough 
to chase it and um, put the work in, or you can't make excuses because yep. it's 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 your thing, and and you're the only one that can control whether or not you you achieve it. Absolutely. Um, and so it's it was that was kind of one of those things for me. It was just like, yeah, this, this sucks. This is not good. And I, and I there was at some point I was somewhere between uh, the mass media building and like Langdale Hall or something over there, and I I was like, all right, you, you get you get a day to feel sorry for yourself. I love that. When you yeah. said that, I was I, like, when I've heard, you're not the first person I've heard that, that gave themselves a cutoff time. And it's not, it's not even the, I think that, it, I think the time to mourn is not important, right? Like yeah. it's good. Like you're going to do it. It's almost like what I think is important is that you're acknowledging the fact that you are, human Mm -hmm, absolutely and and that you're gonna you're gonna have an emotional response to this because you you've put this much time and effort into it but because you've put that much time and effort into it you don't want to it's that's that's like that's the defining point in between people between those who choose success and those who choose an excuse just like you said you know um because and and the thing is a lot of times excuses are they're fully justifiable. Like if you would have walked away at that point and been like, I had it, it was done. I was at 80% and it's done. What do you want me to do? Like right. this was scrapped. And it, very few people would be like, yeah, you know, you probably should just do it all over again. They're like, yeah, that yeah. sucks, man. Like I can't imagine, but the mentality that it takes to, to give yourself a cutoff date, like, I'm going to turn around and take action again after this. Sure, right. I'm going to, I'm going to take my day. And, but and it, what's the way that you describe that day is so interesting. Um, like the, it's almost like a heightened acuity. Like your senses are like, they're, they're firing. And I don't, I don't know what would cause that, but I, I know that I've had that same exact feeling under that type of stress, sure. but I've also had it, in like states of supreme euphoria like where like things have gone like like i the the second interview i did for this show i remember walking out and like i was in oh so some world that i had never been in before you know and i was like this is really cool that i'm here i don't know like all the stuff is the same sure but, but my perception of it is different and just like it kind of brings a whole new meaning to like being on cloud nine. It's just like your, the perception is different. Everything's more visceral and it's right there. It's so interesting that those, the highs and the lows kind of put you in a similar place. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's, that's, you know, being an artist and, and um, you know, and I think, I think the term artist gets kind of a negative connotation as someone who is, um, you know, a little too much one way or the other sometimes, Mm -hmm. but you know, I think a lot of it is just that, um, that ability to perceive and feel and, and then communicate it in a way that allows the audience to feel some portion of that. So saying what you, you know, the level of euphoria, having that same feeling, I'll never forget when I was, when I was on that trip in London, um, I had taken a weekend trip, to um, to Paris with some friends, and we were um, 
going on their metro system, their, you know, their, their rail system. And I will never forget walking, uh, I was walking down this, um, this, you know, whatever, the platform, whatever. And I came up these stairs into this tunnel and there was this, it was like a gush of wind. And at the same time I felt this gush of wind, I heard like the most beautiful violin music I'd ever heard. And it was like a good 150 or 200 feet down this tunnel with nobody else in it, by the way, that I walked and, and then I turned and I saw this, you know, street performer playing this violin, but it was one of those things that it, same sort of thing. Like there's this, this, this moment that touches all of your, I remember what it smelled like. I remember what it mm -hmm. felt like. I remember what it sounded like. I remember what it looked like. And, you know, I think, you know, as someone who is a storyteller or, you know, trying to communicate things that are, um, that are both beautiful and ugly, you know, cause yes. a lot of, a lot of storytelling involves the uglier parts of humanity or, or, or whatever. Um, you, you have to tap into those things that, that, that allow the audience to feel it, to achieve whatever message it is that you're trying to convey there at the end of the that's of it, piece. it's extraordinarily powerful i think i i love that right off the bat the the way that you categorized yourself was as a storyteller mm -hmm. um because the power of storytelling is it's like the single most powerful thing that we have to communicate ideas as people Absolutely. that's that storytelling is the reason that i became passionate in history I used, I remember yeah. growing up, I hated history with a really? passion because it was all wrapped around names and dates and locations and all this specificity that was like, it was so much, it was just like, you know, information by the fire hose, you know, and just right. you're being inundated. And then it's like when a I, binary thing. Yeah, and, exactly. And it can't be binary. No, right. no. And, and once I, once I was given a storyline with, emotion and i was able to attach on um emotionally to not necessarily an individual but to a people that were right. going through a situation like oh my gosh i can relate like i know what the, i've i've been in similar situations i understand that type of struggle and i could i can only imagine what it would have been for you like uh, coming across the ocean taking a month or two months to cross the ocean to a place that you've never been to before right you know Absolutely. and and when it's told in story form then that's that's when you get passionate about it. And, and I wish that that was more, I wish that that was used more in different aspects of life because it is such a powerful tool. Absolutely. So you, you wrote like, I'm going to eventually stop going back to your history. I swear, but like no, no, right. you wrote your for your first screen. You, you did your first screenwriting at 17, like 17 years old. Yeah. So what, what, how does so obviously you weren't like 17 and you had the idea like i'm just gonna do this what led up to this passion to to write that out so i'd, I'd all so okay so my 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 grandparents you know, my grandfather on my dad's side and my grandmother on my mom's side were were wonderful storytellers um and you know it was kind of like a french porch front porch or a swing out in the yard sort of mm -hmm. storytelling style. Um, and I just loved it. My granddad, when I would go, when we would visit him, he would always, um, there was a, a store up the, the street from their house and he would go up and he'd buy some cigars like every, 
every morning. Um, and he'd always ask me, you want to go with me? And we'd go and he'd tell me things and, you know, and, or he would sit out and swing and he'd tell me stories or my grandmother would tell me all these unbelievable stories. Um, and, um, so I had a, a, a real passion for the connection that stories create between people. It wasn't the craft. It was, it was a connection because I loved them. I loved those moments so much with mm -hmm. them. Um, I wanted, I think I always wanted a way to, to be, be them and, and, you know, like to be the person that was telling the story. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and so I, I, as a kid, I, I would write things and write things and I never would really finish them because I, I just, I don't, I don't think I'd found my, like my voice or whatever my, the, the conduit that I could really understand storytelling. Um, and then I'm, and so now we get to the, the, the embarrassing part of my Genesis as a writer. Um, <laughs> so when I was in high school, it was, uh, December of 97. Oh gosh, I might've been. No, oh, yeah. December 97. I just turned 17. I turned 17 in November that year. Um, Titanic was in theaters. And my high school girlfriend wanted to go see it. And, um, and whatever you think about Titanic is a fine film, whatever. <laughs> but I will never forget sitting in um, the, this, you know, kind of little theater in Thomasville, Georgia, which I think is still there. Um, and being um, enthralled by the power that that movie had on people. That, that, that it, like I saw people of different ages, races, classes, all, you know, reacting and feeling the same things at the same moments during mm -hmm. that movie. And that was the first time I'd ever noticed that before. And, um, and I remember she wanted to, my girlfriend wanted to go see it again. And so we went down to Tallahassee and we watched in this independent theater. And I watched the people and same sort of thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, if you want to create some sort of lasting legacy or impression or change things, you can do it through this. And, mm -hmm. and it lined up with this, this whole storytelling, you know, connection that I, that I kind of was chasing with, you know, the, my experiences with my family. And so, um, so I remember I, I set out uh, to start, I was like, I'm going to just start a screenplay. And I had this idea and it was set during the civil war. And it was about a, a Southern soldier who uh, goes in as a spy in the North. And then he, he is, he falls asleep in this barn. and he, he's injured. He falls asleep in his barn. He's, you know, this daughter of this house comes and helps him and they fall in love and that sort of thing. Right. So it was this, whole like long melodramatic, you know, story. Um, but, um, I, you know, I started to write it and, um, eventually finished a draft and then I said, okay, like that, that feels good that I yeah. finish it. And, um, and so I started to try to look at other story ideas. And so it just kind of grew out from, from that, um, from that, experience that you know gosh I could this can this can change the way people 
treat each other. It can change the way people interact. It can change the way, um, um, uh, it can change humanity if you, if, if it's done on a large enough scale. And, and I think that's what, like you said earlier, like storytelling is the, is the great equalizer. It's the thing that we have had since, you know, the beginning Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, we'll have it until the end in whatever form it evolves into. Um, I hope that it, we don't toss too much of it away. Um, and, you know, because a lot of what we, you know, do is so impersonal, Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, I, I certainly hope that we uh, find the the time to continue to kind of build that art form and and um, and you know the, the, its impact on everybody on each other. You know. Yeah, I think that that honestly, it, I'm so curious how the next twenty thirty years are going to pan out with how much technology has become a part of our lives, yeah. and 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 once we hit the point when you know we found how to microprocess things everything has just been exponentially growing like faster the rate of growth is even greater than it's ever been um and so just like you said like the separation is starting to occur we're not starting it has it has been around social media the thing that's supposed to help us connect is actually driving us further apart um but there is there are so many interesting things that are happening now that are that are not what anybody would have suspected like the amount of attention that we're willing to give a storyline we the the thought was you can't make a movie that's longer than 3 hours because no one will watch it right now they release entire seasons at a time yeah. and that's the expectation Sure. That, and right. and your ability to follow six, seven, eight different storylines within one show for yeah. twenty episodes, people will do it. Yeah. And then people show up for live events where people where they're having philosophical debates by the thousands. People are right. coming together for these types of things, and it's it's phenomenal. And so sure. it, it gives me hope that while some parts of us are separating that storytelling can actually bring it together. Have you ever heard of uh, Steven Pinker? No. Uh So uh, he wrote a book recently called enlightenment. Now Um, I haven't read that one. That was listening to him talk about it. Basically it's a, it's, he dives into, if I understand that book correctly, he dives into uh, why, the enlightenment is so important and, and how we're better than now than we ever have been in the history of mankind. Okay. I believe that it goes in that route, but he wrote one before in 2011 called uh, the better angels of our nature. Okay. And it's, it's the decline of violence up until now, because oh, okay. a lot of times people will say like, Oh yeah, we have all this technology, but we live in such violent times. Like mm-hmm. we live in like genocides have happened recently in the 20th century and, right, and right, nu- right. nuclear weapons and all of this. And he goes in and he dives into in such extensive detail about this, that it's, it's, it's mind numbing to some point. It's like, Oh my gosh, like I can't believe that somebody sat down and did this level of, of nug work to this research it's phenomenal all of this i bring up because 
one of the most significant things that he could attribute to the, and this, God, I hope that I interpreted this correct as I was, as I was taking in the information. This is the way that it, it clicked in my head is that he talked about movies and books and shows and how they were able to, basically they're able to create empathy through fictional stories and they they flesh this out through multiple different social psychological uh double blind test experiments yeah um where they did it they because they were testing it versus like real stories with real people um so they would bring like a a woman who had an abortion and then they walked through like this extensive detailed story uh, about her. And then they did another one about uh, somebody who was fictional and the, the test group knew that this girl was real and they knew that this one was fictional and wow. they had them attached to like brain scanners wow. while they were responding and the level of empathy, the difference between them was well, the level of empathy for people in that situation was significantly different uh were significantly the same but increased than what it was before wow so if somebody if people weren't it's super interesting but it it, it gives like the scientific backing and proof to exactly what you felt yeah at at titanic and exactly what you hope that movies will bring and it's it's to the point where like it can be attributed to significant decrease in violence and increased empathy between people because that's kind of it's kind of like the opposite right like if i'm able to empathize with you it's very unlikely that i'm going to uh yeah want to fight you know so i mean they they go into detail about you know basically the idea of where goods cross borders armies do not kind of thing Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah and that plays a role into it as well um but that was one of the when it came to the social side that was significant and it goes to the power of storytelling and it goes to the power that uh, there's almost like a responsibility embedded to our artists. Um, But one of the, and in that responsibility, it's, I love to, I'm so happy that I get this opportunity to talk to you as you're, you're achieving these levels of success. Um, But you talked one thing that you said earlier that really, I loved it. Just, it like made my heart swell was you said that, it requires discipline. Yeah. Right. And that, that I think, because you talked about the misconception that people have when they hear the word artist, there can be a common misinterpretation of what your life is. Right. Absolutely, man. It's, you know, it's, um, again, uh, you joke about, you know, I I wrote my first screenplay. I was 17. I was, uh, I was 38 before I ever saw it on a big screen. So it's, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh my gosh, man, you're so lucky. I can't believe, wow. Like, <laughs> overnight success, just, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like the 21 year old overnight success. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they don't, you know, you don't, and, and you know, we don't, I don't, I am now because I think it'll help people talking about the grind um, because it's not, uh, it's not for someone who um, is, wants to do it on a whim. I mean, it is, it's difficult to get um, your work produced. Um, and it's years and years of work. It's, you know, thousands and thousands of, um, you know, chance meetings and it's, you know, hundreds of like real, real relationships and 
Um, you know, there's a lot of like free time that you miss from family and friends. And, um, you know, I do all of my writing when my little boy's asleep, you know, mm -hmm. which means I don't sleep nearly <laughs> as much as I probably should. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and, but it, there is, there's, you know, there, there is a, there's a discipline to it. And I think that people thinking that, you know, artists are just kind of, doing whatever comes to them and just living aloof and you're just floating yeah. with the wind. Yeah. There's, there's a, not the successful ones. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a significant discounting to all of the hard work that they've done all mm -hmm. the times they've, you know, uh, lost a project that they were 80% done with or, or, you know, something happens to a, a painting or there's a fire or there's a, you know, whatever. There are all these different things that can happen to somebody. Um, and, you know, I don't, I have never, um, I've never met an artist that, that didn't, um, didn't, um, like take those scars on and mm -hmm. continue to fight because if they were an artist and I met them and they had something to show for it, they had those scars, Yep. you know, it, you know, a lot of people, if they, if they had that, if they had something bad happen to them, they quit then they, they're not an artist and they're not giving, they're not giving that experience to me. It doesn't yep. mean their experience is any less valid, but it's just not, they're just not the artist, but artists do come with these scars and they come with mm -hmm. these, you know, hours of, you know, thankless, you know, work and, and really, you know, most of, most of them, you know, myself included have a nine to five job and, yeah. and a family and they're pursuing these things outside of, the orbit of normal life. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not an easy task or an easy life, but it is a very, very fulfilling. Exactly. Um, fulfilling task. And so that's, there's a, there's a misconception and I've, I've gotten in a few back and forth tiffs with people online about the name of my show <laughs> and yeah. uh, to the point where like, by the interactions, if you were watching it from a third party, you'd be, you'd think that I'm like, I'm fully invested in that. I would never have quite never questioned the name of my show. Yeah. Absolutely not the case. I question everything all of the time, yeah. just because I'm doing this and I'm publishing regularly and I'm, and I'm have the opportunity to talk with amazing people does not mean I have anything figured out. Yeah, I yeah. don't, I'm stuck. Continue. I'm, I'm taking the lumps as I go and I'm figuring, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but the, the complaint is always that people say that like, Oh, you're telling people to drop everything in their life and to go pursue their passions. And I'm like, no, right. I get how that can be. I, I, one, I get it. I get how you would interpret it that way Two, You've never listened. <laughs> like, right, right, right. So, so because if you did listen, you would know that I'm telling you to unmoor yourself from the things that are stopping you from living a fulfilled life. Right. If your nine to five facilitates your ability to, to pursue your passion project and to, and to go out and do it, keep it. You, it's, you have a responsibility to keep that job so that you can pursue your, like that's right. you have, especially if you have a family, if you have children, you, you owe the pursuit of your dreams to them you owe it to them to do it because just like you you had mentioned um modeled behavior before um and that's it's one of the most powerful ways 
to, and, and then this is where it was. It was, uh, you didn't specifically say it, it triggered it in my mind when you were talking about your grandparents and the stories that they were telling that modeled behavior helped shape your entire life. Right. And so we're doing, you're doing that for your son now, right. like through your one, your persistent action in, in a, in a nine to five job, yeah. but then not allowing that to define who you are, right. you know, and it's, I don't think that defining yourself through your work is necessarily a bad thing right. if, if you're passionate about it. But if, it's, if you're not, then, I mean, I want my kids to see that you don't have to, one, you could choose and you could try to monetize your passion. Yeah. If it's not, if you're not able to do it, you can still like, you don't have to, your life doesn't have to revolve around the thing that brings money into your life. Right, right. And so I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing um, that... Well, that you manage that and you're portraying that to your family, to yourself and to the world. Like it's a beautiful thing. Well, I, that's, I mean, it, you know, every person has to find their own path and their own um, passion and, um, and interpret everything for themselves. Um, I mean, I think the thing that's like really cool about like what you do and getting to, um, to hear all these different perspectives, um, you know, the cool thing about what I do and, getting to, to tell stories from different perspectives. It's just rounding out, you know, the human experience because, you know, everybody has to take whatever resonates with them. Yes. Um, and that could come from a movie. It could come from a podcast. It could yep. come from a, a newspaper article or a magazine article, or it could come from, from violin a, down the tunnel. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. It could come from anywhere. And, and those things, they just, those experiences and those, um, you know, people being able to listen and have empathy for each other, mm -hmm. um, is what is going to, you know, um, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of vitriol out there right now. There's a lot of anger between yeah. people. And, and I think that we, you know, it would be really, really great if we would you know, stop looking at all the things that, and this is so trite and cliche, but if we stop looking at things that separate us and started looking at things that make us mm -hmm. more alike um, and trying to um, kind of come together and, and storytelling, um, you know, whether it's through a podcast or reading a book or watching a movie or a TV show or whatever, those things unite us in, in really, really that's, unique ways. That's where it stops being cliche. That's where, that's where you just took it from, from just the expression of we need to not focus on the things that, that make us different and focus on the things that are similar between us. Um, that it's, it's cliches matter and they're, they exist for a reason. Sure. And it's because there's power there and there's energy right. there. And it, just like anything, it was just like the song you hear on the radio for the 117th time. You're like, okay, I got it. Like mm -hmm. it's still good. It just, it doesn't have the impact it once had. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, that's the way that I look at, at my show and what I'm trying to do with the add-ons on top of the interviews is if I'm trying, I just, it's so funny. I have a strong distaste for self-help mm -hmm. um, and which is ironic because it's like exactly what I'm doing. And so, <laughs> so I, when I, when I look at it, I'm like, okay, well, why, why do I not, like it what what's the distaste there and it goes to the same reason why i would dislike that cliche is that it brings up a good point and then it yeah. leaves it floating out there yeah yeah to be like you figure it out so right. okay find the things that make us well, how if i'm 
if I'm, I wore an I'm with her shirt and I'm watching and I'm, and I'm jumping up for joy today as the impeachment articles walked across from the house to the Senate. Um, and my brother is a diehard Trump fan, you know, where, where do we find common ground and, and where you took it with, with content and media and movies and podcasts and music. Like there are so many viscerally emotional things that can tie us together. Like Titanic is a great example to like for in my lifetime, that was the first movie that did exactly what you said. And it, and it showed in box office ticket. Right. Right. Absolutely. That it was just, it crushed continuously yeah. and and still up there. I don't know where it's at, but it's still it's top- pretty high. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's incredible. Um, and it just shows the impact of that story because it's not real. It's right, not a, right, it's right, not a real right. story. But and that that goes just a personal thing for me. I love. Uh, I I don't know if it's a real term. I heard somebody say it once. A, a faction, like okay. a real story, a real event that occurred, but with a fake storyline. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I love it. I love yeah, it. yeah, yeah. That's that, very cool. Yeah, and so like that stuff with history. If I, you know, um. That, that's the stuff that, that really gets me going it's because I'm like, I can tie it to something real. And then sure. especially with the more real stuff, real events you put into it, like, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and then you watch this person living in the world uh, of that. It's absolutely. almost like Forrest Gump, you know, Forrest yeah, Gump was like yeah. a perfect example of that. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have, it gives you some sort of context in yeah. your own, in your grounded area, but then an insight into what could be, you know, I, I, I totally get that. 100%. So one of the things that I put a lot of focus on within my self-help side, God, it, it pains me just to say the words. <laughs> <laughs> but in that, in that echelon of, uh, in my operation, the, I, uh, my big category is, is personal narrative. And so mm-hmm. I think that we, we can, we frequently limit ourselves. People that, let's phrase it this way. People that are not living in with the amount of abundance and to the excess that they could have in their life, that a lot of that happens with the way that they encapsulate or, or, or label themselves in their head to something mm-hmm. as simple as like, I'm not good at math. That's not something you go around telling people if it right. comes up, you know, okay, yeah, I'm not great at math. Um, but that, that statement, has power that started probably decades prior and you've owned it. Like that's me. I am a person who is not good at math. Mm -hmm. And so you extrapolate that across all aspects of your life. Um, Where are you limiting yourself in a way that is not real? You know, you've accepted barriers to your, to your potential because something happened and you allowed a, a pebble to be a boulder. I, I, the, my, my story about this is my side sprayer in the sink. Like I, so I moved into this place mm-hmm. and I had a, the, I didn't even know they were called side sprayers. It's the hose that you used to spray yeah, dishes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I, I had to look it up. I'm like, what is this thing called? Oh, that <laughs> makes sense. Logical. It's a side sprayer. So I, uh, but I, I had a, I went to use it and I got about three to four inches of slack. And I was like, Oh, that's stupid. Like I can't, I can't, I can't use this. So in my head, I was like, okay, well, it looks like I'm not using that. And I just 
wash my dishes by hand, put it in to the dishwasher, whatever. It's all good. And yeah. I just forgot that I had it. Six, eight months later, I go to, to grab it again, just not even thinking about it. I grab it and I have two and a half feet of slack. And yeah. I'm like, didn't, wasn't I not using this for a reason? Yeah, like, right, right, right. And so I looked underneath and the hose is routed around the little, the knob that turns the water on. Yeah, yeah. That's sure. it. That's it. I let a knob be yeah. the boulder in my river diverging the path of the water going down when it was absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so right. that's it's the power of our mind to just accept things i mean it's sure. really cool when you think about it because it's like i'm gonna find a way to yes even with this being in the way how much easier could your life be if you actually analyze those things and you right then you're like oh maybe i would be good at math if i just had somebody that showed me how to do it the right way right all of this is just a buildup for me to ask you about your personal narrative. Uh, we had talked about it prior to, but I was, I'm so curious about at what point did you feel like you could take on, and, and do you now, I'm assuming you have to with, the, with where you're at, but do you call yourself a screenwriter? Like in your head, you're like, I'm a screenwriter. Um, yes. And when, when did that happen? How did, how did that come on? Was there a struggle in getting to that point? Like, did you take that on super early at like 17? Were you like, I'm a screenwriter, like just dive into that. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that, um, I think perception's fluid. Um, so I think early on, I, right off the bat, I thought I was going to be, I'm a screenwriter. Um, and then, um, experience told me otherwise. (laughs) Um, and that, you know, you, you write a screenplay, you think that you're going to win an award or get something made, you know, because you're naive, you don't understand the, the, the context or the world that you're, you're walking into. Um, and I think that's okay. Um, I think that that enthusiasm pushed me through the first sort of growth of my career when I realized I wasn't a screenwriter and that I had to be a student and that I had to, um, to get a job and I had to do all these things, but that if I wanted to be a screenwriter, then I had to be disciplined enough to put in the work, Mm -hmm. um, and, and still take care of, you know, at the time it was just myself. Um, and, um, but, but I do consider myself a screenwriter now, um, not only a screenwriter, but, mm-hmm. you know, uh, thankfully a husband and a father, yes. um, a, a, a creative professional. You know, I, I work for, you know, a, a television station, so I get to do creative things all the time. Um, a lot of people that go through my line of study don't end up in, in my line of work. Um, mm-hmm. They go on and do other things. Um, and, you know, the, the creative arts are a good opportunity to do that because you one of the sort of um, uh, like the true, the things that you learn the most is how to adapt and how to solve problems um, in the face of, of, you know, like not, you know, insurmountable, but certainly some real challenges. Yeah. (laughs) Some real challenges and you have to be flexible and adaptable and figure things out on on a dime. Um, but I, I think that, um, I, I think the first time I really felt, you know, this go around, like I was a real screenwriter. Um, I wrote a a screenplay 
it, it was when we go back to the, like, you know, the storytelling of my grandparents and, mm-hmm. and the connection that it, it had to me. Um, where it all kind of came full circle for me, I wrote a, a screenplay. Um, it's called Unicorn, title Unicorn. And, um, and ever since that screenplay, and I probably did it before, but it, it was in a very, very explicit way in that screenplay. I started to write things in the text that meant, that was my message to somebody that I cared for. Um, and so in Unicorn, um, so when I was a, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, you know, like two, three years old, um, I had really long eyelashes and when, you know, like you get sleep in your eyes and my mom would come in in the mornings and she would wait, try to wake me up and I would try to open my eyes. And sometimes I wouldn't be able to open them up because the sleep was in the eyes, but I could see, I guess, just enough to see the fluttering of my eyelashes in the light against the Mm -hmm. light. And I would tell her that I had spiders on my eyes. And so she told me this, of course, years later, and it was something that meant it was sweet to her that something she felt, you know, thought fondly of. I wrote this movie Unicorn and and that movie's set in uh, revolutionary war era in North Carolina. It's about these, um, uh, this, this set of twins, a boy and a girl who, um, the girl becomes ill, the boy through, we open the movie with the grandfather telling these fairy tales and, and the unicorn on the, on pale mountain who just a touch of this alicorn would cure any mortal ailment. So the sister gets deathly ill. The brother is going to go find a unicorn and bring it back. While the brother's on this journey, he ends up in this forest with this, you know, kind of group of motley crew of people that he's accumulated along the way. And um, he's asleep, you know, under this canopy of trees and a spider comes down and starts to, you know, sew his eyes shut. It's a very dark, you know, very kind of dark way, but it, but it was, I remember writing that scene and like, this is for mom. Like this is, these are the spiders on my eyes. Mm -hmm. And so every, that was the moment I knew that I was taking a, um, a, a skill and, making it mine yeah you know it was me this wasn't just me sitting anybody can sit down uh at a at a keyboard and put words on a page um but when you can when you can put something that is so personal um to you in a story um and it gives you that um you know it 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 really really you know, fills your soul like that, then you, then it, then it takes on another level in your life. And yeah. so that's kind of the point where I was like, all right, I, I, I'm a screenwriter now I can yeah. do, I can do this. And, um, and you know, I, and I've done that, you know, and sometimes it's just a kind of a, you know, a, a line of dialogue or, or whatever. Um, but I do try to, to, you know, imbue these different, you know, Easter egg, you know, everybody yeah, talks yeah. about Marvel movies and things or Easter eggs and all mm-hmm. that stuff for all the, the expanded universe and everything. My Easter eggs are for the people that I love. Yes. And, um, and so 
that that kind of is where I, I felt like, all right. And then, you know, the success, you know, of, of having things produced, um, it came after that. And it, and it was, um, that was another, you know, that was just kind of a reinforcement of what I'd already yeah. told myself. Absolutely. That, okay, yeah, I do belong here. Like Lionsgate just released a movie I wrote. Like mm-hmm. that is like, okay, that's really cool. Now it's like, okay, now we gotta, we just gotta keep, keep building. It's, it's, it's almost like, okay, the, that's cool. The world has finally recognized what I already knew. It, yeah, and, absolutely. And it's not, and it wasn't, the thing that I like about that is like, the, I always appreciate a sense of, of confidence um, and, but, but not arrogance. Right? right. And so it's not like you had an expectation, like, why don't you recognize me? It's like, Oh, right. cool. That happened. Like you, like you're there. I've, I've been here, you know, and I'm doing my thing. And it's so awesome that it's now being experienced by other people. Right. The, it, it's, this goes to a very baseline part of, um, something that I'm trying to build out. And it's, it's about the different types of motivation. And like you, you laid it out perfectly. I'm going to talk to you about potentially being able to like steal your story <laughs> to be able to like, it'll be you. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's just so, it's such a perfect example of how to understand motivation. The, the two motivation can be broken down in like two significant categories. Mm-hmm. And it's to something that you had spoke about earlier about extrinsic and intrinsic yeah so if something is extrinsic if you're extrinsically motivated to do something like if you were extrinsically motivated to screen right and to to be in the industry that you're in your it would be more likely that something like the production through Lionsgate would have been the moment where like yeah i made it because i have been validated by something external to myself but intrinsic the the internal validation that it goes to a different type of motivation and a different level of happiness um that cannot be achieved through an extrinsically motivated thing you know it's right they and it's just it's just like everything else we talked about nothing is binary it's not like i'm intrinsically motivated so that doesn't work like no absolutely Mm -hmm. like getting paid for the work that i do absolutely helps having my name roll on the screen you know like absolutely makes a difference that's not why i do it that's right just yeah internal happiness internal satisfaction that comes from it i i talk uh, there's a there's a guy that i that i know um his name is dennis steinmetz he was um a producer um on the the mickey mouse club for a lot of years wow and um i i met him Gosh, I met him probably 17, 16, 17 years ago, um, right before I came to Savannah, actually. And um, he was, and this is a guy who has achieved ungodly amounts of success Mm -hmm. in in the industry in which I want to be. Right. And he asked me, he's like, so, you know, um, and even this is back, even back then, this is, I'd only been writing for, you 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 know, a few years at that point. Um, he asked me about, you know, writing and I said, you know, um, it's one of those things that, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night, I have to do it. Um, there's something in me that's driving me, that's making me not give up on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and he, he's like, well, that's, that's how you know it's real. And, and I can't tell you how many times over the years I've, I've told people, 
if I, if I could have quit 10 years ago, I would have quit. Yep. Um, because you know, I, I missed out on a lot of things that I, that would have been great and fun and cool. Um, but, but now I've, I've, you know, I've, I've had some other things happen that are great and fun and cool too. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and, and things that, you know, not only are really great to see, it's very cool to see your name on a screen. Um, what's better than that to me is when an actor gets it right. When you write a scene and they interpret the scene and they perform the scene and it is so close to the way it was in your head that you're like, oh my gosh, like, like that whole piece right there came here. It was here first, you know, mm-hmm. and that is like, there, there is, that is such an intense um, uh, high, like it's, it's such a satisfaction to that. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I certainly hope that, you know, this project in the summer um, moves forward. I, I think it will. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that you know this project that I want to direct. That there's another low budget project that that um, I'm, I'm looking at. Hopefully, being able to do with some folks here in town, um, and then a lot of other things that are just kind of on the docket and that yeah. you know get still get my motor running. You know, yeah. and, and even all the, most of these people, you know, that you know the the actors and well most of the you know writers and directors in Hollywood they all had the same you know sort of um path where they have just had lonely nights you know a lot of times and a lot of work and um but they you know believed um or were stubborn enough to just yeah. keep going and somehow they found that one story that resonated at that one moment that, um, that made them who they were. And, and, you know, I think that as, as a writer and filmmaker, that's, you just have to keep, keep going until you find that. And, you know, I think once you kind of, you know, resonate on that level, it gets a lot easier to identify projects and grow outward. So it's, it's it's really it's really extraordinary um the way it all kind of play plays out yeah that's amazing i absolutely love it and so if if you had the chance and if you if we're able to give uh voice and and get a direct ear to somebody who's listening that is always considered wanting to get into this industry Mm -hmm. and they're sitting there and they're like, I, I absolutely want to screenwrite. I want, I want to get in. I want to direct. What, what advice can you give that young person that's, that's ready to kick off or somebody that wants to shift gears and to go into that industry, like from your extraordinarily, extraordinarily long time doing it and having gotten these scars, what, what advice could you give to somebody? Well, I think that's, that's a big part of it is, is, uh, you know, first of all, you've got to be willing to put in the work. Um, you know, the movie business is glitz and glamour. Um, if you want to be a screenwriter or a director, it's not that it is really, really a cerebral exercise. It's, it's commitment and discipline and 
you know, not going out with your friends when you, you know, not saying you can't do that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding that if you're driven to um, succeed, give yourself deadlines, give yourself um, realistic goals um, to hit. Network with people. The only way that, um, the only reason that I got to where I, I got was because I was not afraid to network with people. And sometimes that means like, oh, I see an article online and it's got a list of like people who are, you know, involved in film in Georgia and it's got their email addresses and I blind email them. Yep. I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've done that, that, has, that have, you know, borne out into, you know, um, meaningful relationships. So it's, you know, work, uh, you know, work and network. And, um, and then one, one of the things that you said, said uh, in our first meeting really stuck out with me. And, and I said it on uh, Ed Susevich's radio show and I didn't credit you and I hate myself <laughs> for it. That's not so good. <laughs> I said it and then he was like, oh man, that's really good. And then I was like, yeah, it's really good. And then I was like, <laughs> Oh my God, Matthew told me that. Um, but, but. No, honestly, like, so that's probably the closest, this feeling right now is probably the closest that I can get to relating to what you talked about, the the way that you felt when an actor yeah. portrayed emotionally in his character exactly what, or close to the the energy that you were conveying in your screenwriting because that's yeah. that's essentially that's like what i want to do i want to be able to provide that for people and like credit not required <laughs> <laughs> well well i i think it you know i'm crediting crediting you now um but no you said you know value yourself value your voice and that is so so important um you know as as a consumer of content and then a creator of content, it becomes easy to imitate or to doubt yourself or doubt your experience. Um, but you know what? We need uh, new and different and diverse voices. We need people that look at things from from the, from the side, from the side sprayer. Um, from the faucet, <laughs> you know, you need, yep. you got to have all viewpoints and you got to have all, um, all people, you got to be brave and you gotta, you gotta try. And you yeah. know what? It's not for everybody and that's okay. No. Yep. Just, you know, the life is all about exploring who you are and, and experience and, and trying to find what you, what you, what gets your motor going every day and and makes you feel fulfilled every night and and the only way that you can do that is to to try these different things and experience and if, yeah. if you find yourself drawn to be a writer work and network and value your voice because um i can promise you not a lot of people will value your voice in the early going mm-hmm. but if you stick with yourself and believe in and believe in what you're doing and just you know, even when you're tired, get in and, and, you know, pound out some pages. Most of the things that you write are not going to be very good, but when you read or write them, they'll be better and you'll get, you'll continue to, to see some, some growth. I mean, that's really all you can ask for, you know, and in terms of being a creator. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, 
you know, if, if I've got a couple people that reached out to me um, through contacts that I had that I'm trying to kind of help, you know, provide some perspective on. So if you want to um, include my email and all that stuff in your sure, show yeah, notes and whatever, awesome. um, you can certainly do that. Um, it's chasonusry at gmail.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-U-S-R-Y at gmail.com. Um, you know, I'm happy to, um, you know, sometimes it takes me a little bit of time to get back to people, <laughs> yeah. um, because there's a lot of irons in the fire right now, but you know, I'm happy to, to talk to people and also, you know, not necessarily, you don't have to be, um, stuck to a specific medium now. I mean, right. you know, you've got podcast, I mean, you've got podcast, I'm, I'm helping produce a podcast right now as well with yep. some, some law enforcement guys who, um, or, or, yeah, I didn't, I did not want to, I did not want to forget that. I didn't want to drop it. Like the, the amount of things that you're doing right now, it's, it's not trivial, you know, like <laughs> it's, 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 you just it's, try, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and it, I love that, how you had talked about like the, basically like being naive going mm-hmm. in, like, had I known what it was going to take from me from the start, I probably would have been like, Nope, I'm good. Yeah. Good on it. If it's going to extract that much out of me, probably not going to do that. Yeah. And so there's, that is, you are not the first person I've heard say that, that yeah. thank God I was young and dumb when yeah, I started. Yeah, yeah. And I would, there's no way that if if I started later that I would have achieved the success because I would have, I would have been smarter and I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to deal with that. And I don't, that's going to be a lot. And so, and to me, I like, I don't, I don't think that it necessarily has to do with age. I think it's easier to be dumb when you're young, right? (laughs) But, but if you are, if you have that passion and again, if you, if you're waking up at three in the morning and that's what's, that's what's calling to you, then you're like, answer the call. Yeah. Answer the call and and set your life up in a way that's conducive to answering the call. Right. You, you did it. You provide an amazing example of it. Well, I I appreciate that, man. I I love what you're doing. Like I love, I mean, we had a a great connection when we first met and um, dude, I, I, I appreciate you for um, chatting with me and and hanging out and like, the opportunity like it's just been phenomenal man so. yeah no it's i i appreciate it. i'm glad that it wasn't it wasn't one size i was like dude i i told adam i was like i really like jason man like <laughs> i think jason's a great guy uh and and so Thank and you, it's man. it's you can you just you pick it up with some people and like you said like it's it's about networking and yeah. it's about putting yourself out there and so i'm super happy that i did and i'm super Me happy too. that you that you were there Absolutely. and it's it's just hopefully that can also be a model for people that's like, like, don't be afraid to go out there and, right. and to talk to people about the things that you're interested about because you'd be surprised at who's listening. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming. Too, well, if people, if people want to follow you in any way, like do you, do you keep up on like social media with like the stuff that you're producing or, or involved with? Yeah. So, um, so we have, uh, well, Deadwater has a Facebook page. Um, if people are interested in checking that out, um, I have a Facebook page. It's locked up privacy wise, but if you're friends of a friend, you know, friend me and I'll friend you. Um, 
again, jasonusry at gmail.com if people have specific, um, you know, discussion points or want to talk about, you know, screenwriting or whatever, I'm happy to um, talk to people about that. Um, uh, End of Watch uh, with Bootsy and Sal is the podcast that I produce. Um, Kevin Grogan's former homicide detective um, from Savannah, here in Savannah. Lou Velozzi is a former special agent and undercover ATF. Um, and when I'm you also, when you go on and you watch the video, you're like, "Yep, that's exactly who they are." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, There's no they, question. Like, like just visually, like, "Yep, you live up to all of that." <laughs> exactly. They're, you know, they they are guys. Look, they are they are no holds barred. Mm-hmm. Um, they have um, they have seen it all. Um, they uh, are are like excellent uh advocates for law enforcement and military um and uh you know they have somehow like i'm working on uh you know projects for the screen with them as well yeah um so it's i I really hope that we get the i I have no doubt at some point we'll get these these things on the on the silver screen and maybe on this the tv screen um but those guys are um, as real as it gets, man. And they are, they are no BS. And um, I'm just, it's funny. Like I'm, you know, I'm a little writer guy and I <laughs> go into the bar, you know, to, to have lunch with them or whatever. And it's just like these two guys, you know, and I'm like, hey guys, you know, How you doing? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's just so funny. Um, I love but, it. Uh, yeah. I know yeah. there's a lot of people that are really into, uh, into that type of, uh, content right now um yeah. that's that's some of the biggest most popular stuff is our, our crime-based uh right. shows and so uh I, I know i was able to find it on youtube super easy yeah and, yeah um, yeah it's on youtube we we're on all the major listening apps uh, we're not on stitcher which is i listen a lot of things on stitcher but we are on you know apple podcast spotify perfect. um so, several of the other ones and and yeah i mean they we've got some some pretty uh, wild guests lined up for the next few weeks awesome. um which will which will sure to stir some some good conversation um <laughs> but uh but yeah then no, uh there it's a lot of fun with those guys and you know they basically the focus of that podcast is um allowing law enforcement professionals uh or, or military veterans or people that have worked with um veterans or or law enforcement officers um, the opportunity to talk from their both their personal and professional front lines. So not just um, their experiences on the job, but how those experiences affected them, you know, both sure. from the mental health aspect and, and their, in their personal lives and how they've dealt with, with those coping uh, with those things. So um, it's, it's a really, really good, um, way to do that. And then I've got a couple other podcasts maybe we can talk about later on Definitely. that I'm developing right now. And, and, um, uh, one of which I, I'll want to have you on as a, as a special guest, I, I think. So I maybe both of them honored. actually, yeah, maybe both of them actually. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, so yeah, no, I, it, it's anybody that wants to reach out, you know, they can feel Perfect. free to, to reach out to me in, in those ways or LinkedIn, Jason Ostry on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, yeah and for IMDb. for just on the last just for Deadwater, just so people know, like uh, the if you're interested, if the end of watch sounded interesting to you, and and the psychological aspects of of dealing with the things that soldiers mm-hmm. deal with and police deal with, if that type of stuff interests you, Deadwater is right up your alley. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's it, 
I did not know what it was going to be about when I started. I literally, I had to go out and buy a DVD player so yeah. that I could watch this movie. I realized I was like, I don't, I can't watch a DVD. Apparently I can't do that. So, so I went out specifically for this movie and I got it thank and I watched it. I'm like, Oh my God, I, it was so worth it. Yeah, thank you. Thank so, you. Yeah, it but, is. It deals with post-traumatic stress. I mean, it's a, it's a real thing, you know, and it's, it's important to talk about. And, and, um, and uh, yeah, so uh, thanks to, to you for your service to to all of our um, uh, men and women who who serve our country and um, you know both in the military and um, as first responders. I mean, yeah. it's you know there's a lot of um, there there's not a lot there's not enough gratitude given to to the sacrifices you guys make uh, and that your families make. Um, you know when you're out there standing up for us. So thank you. And, um, and I, I sincerely appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Yeah, no, the, I, I feel ingratiated by most people with it and it's, it's been phenomenal. Like I, I remember my dad telling me stories about him coming back from Vietnam and, and yeah. I, it makes me feel bad how good we're treated now <laughs> versus yeah, yeah. the way that they were. But, uh, that's, that's, we could go on for, on PTSD and, and the impacts of that and, and why it's taboo and why the people in these professions don't want to talk about it right. because there it, it's definitely a thing but sure. uh, a conversation for another day Absolutely, i just bro. thank you so much i really appreciate it this this meant a lot so yeah man me too thanks so much brother you got it all right